0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Neufeld. We continue our series today, A Firm Grip on the Gospel, with a message titled, Showing Mercy. So turning your Bibles to Luke 6, 37 to 42, as we join Dr. Neufeld now.
1: God cares a great deal about how we treat others. And while most of us assume that we treat others well, it's also true that we treat ourselves a great deal better than we treat others. We feed and clothe ourselves, and we don't do that for many others. We forgive ourselves by telling ourselves we're sorry for some of our misdeeds, but that we have mitigating reasons for our bad behavior. I mean, for instance, when we lose our temper, when we shout at someone, something we realize we shouldn't have done, we're sorry, but we also say, you know, I've not eaten lately and my blood sugar level is out of whack or, you know, I was under a great deal of stress at work and I guess I just let that boil over into my relationship with you. Yeah, I'm sorry, but we also say, I'm not as bad as I appeared to be just then. And when we observe others acting in the same fashion, we rarely extend them the kind of grace we extend to ourselves. We rarely say, yes, they were angry, but I wonder what the mitigating factors might have been. And so we all, without exception, have a tendency to judge ourselves with more leniency than we judge others. But as I've said, God cares a great deal about how we treat others, and he also cares a great deal about how we judge others. It's a sobering thought, one that each of us needs time to consider. We've been studying Luke chapter 6, which is Jesus' sermon on the plain. It's a sermon about the kingdom of God and who it is that inherits it. Jesus has been describing the kind of people who are a part of that kingdom. God has transformed their character or their hearts. And one of the marks of that transformed heart has everything in the world to do with how we treat others. Jesus has already talked about forgiveness and love of enemies. Now he moves from that to the more general treatment of others. And I think before we study the details, that we can already summarize. Jesus is concerned that his followers are known as merciful people, quick to hear the other person out, and quick to look for avenues of reconciliation. We can divide the passage under discussion into two sections. The first section contains the commands, the things Jesus insists of all his followers. We are required to show mercy to others, and he will spell out precisely what he means. Now, the second section contains both a parable and is an invitation to ask, who sees things the way they really are, to the person who says, "I call things the way I see them." Jesus asks, "Are you able to see it all, or are you blind, imagining that you think you can see?" We're going to come to that. So let's read our passage, Luke six thirty-seven to thirty-eight. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with a measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So the first command, judge not, could also be translated as stop judging. It means stop reckoning a person guilty and therefore liable to punishment. Now before we seek to apply this command, let's step back and make sure we understand the command. Jesus, I hope you agree with me, was a consistent teacher, not the kind of person who contradicted himself. You know, at one time saying one thing and the other time saying the opposite. The reason I make that point is that at times Jesus did make judgments and wanted his followers to do the same. John seven twenty four, Jesus says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Now, he was in a debate in that case. He was arguing with the Pharisees because he had healed a man on the Sabbath. And Jesus' response is interesting. He doesn't say, you have no right to judge me. Rather, he says, you need a better basis upon which to make judgments. Stop judging by your prejudices or your instant reactions. Start making judgments based upon sufficient evidence. The point I'm trying to get at is that when Jesus says, stop judging, he means those words within a context and not as a general principle about everything. So here are some examples. There are some legitimate exercises of judgment. I mean, one of those would be in a court of law. Jurors are presented with evidence that the defendant is guilty of a crime. And so they're called to go away and deliberate. How compelling is the evidence they're presented with? They are called upon to make a right judgment, and in this context, it would be sheer madness for the jurors to say, look, Jesus says we shouldn't judge at all. See, don't you see, if you took Jesus' command, don't judge, and made it an absolute command, every criminal in the world would go free and we would descend into anarchy. That's not just true in a court of law, it's true in a number of other areas in life. If you're a loans manager in a financial institution, You'll have to make sound judgments constantly on whether you'll grant a potential client with a loan or not. Let me bring this to the matter of church discipline. The Bible demands that local church leaders make judgments in the cases of immorality regarding a church member. You know, Paul taught 1 Corinthians 5, when a man was sleeping with his stepmother, Paul says, you should have put this man out of your church, meaning... You should have investigated this thoroughly and if the man in question is both guilty and unrepentant you have to exercise sound judgment and protect your church in church matters in business in law courts and also in personal matters you see if a person who has a friend who is a you know incessant gossip well don't invite them into things that demand discretion you have to make right judgments Well, if that's the case, what would be the context in which Jesus demands stop judging? See, what is Jesus forbidding? Well, it's actually in two areas. The first is to make judgments in areas that none of us can make judgments about. Example, matters of the heart. We say, Fred is proud. Sue is arrogant. Jack cares for nothing but his own reputation. Marilyn operates in envy. You see, in each of these statements I've just made, I'm stating something that lies within the heart of another, something that's seen by God alone. And here's the point. If you make a judgment of that kind, you quickly condemn the other. It's heartless. It shows no mercy. Now, look, I have to assume there are a number of you, my dear listeners, who frequently engage in this activity. And when you do, you disobey Jesus. And when you do, you're without mercy toward the person you condemn. And so Jesus might have been speaking about these kinds of judgments, of which none of us can judge with certainty. We can't judge the attitudes of others. I said Jesus is speaking about the kind of judgment that happens in two areas. The first is the judgment of the heart, the inner motivation that moves someone to do something. And the second is the judgment that can never be proved. And here I don't mean things that we deeply believe about another. Let me give an example. Gordon didn't get his work assignment done. It's now the third time this has happened in this quarter. That's likely a judgment, yet you can verify with an investigation. But this is key. Why is it that he hasn't gotten his work done? Is his workload too difficult? Is the task too hard for him? Is there a crisis in his life at this moment? Or is Gordon just lazy? See, the person who has no mercy doesn't really care. He's quick to assign blame to a person based on assumptions rather than a thorough examination of the evidence and truth be told. A great many of us harbor very negative attitudes about others and we're very quick to jump to conclusions. And one of the ways you can test if that's you is to ask whether you're the kind of a person who will allow the presentation of the other side of the story. Do you gather evidence and allow evidence to the contrary to be heard as well? Or do you simply compile and compound the negative judgments that you already hold? For every judgment you formed regarding the inner state of someone, how many contrary pieces of evidence have you allowed to be heard? See, Jesus is speaking about the kind of judgment that are a part of the prejudices that people hold, the tendency that we quickly use to cast someone aside. Now, having said that, don't judge. Notice how Jesus articulates a clear warning. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Jesus is saying that the person who judges actually invites the judgment of God on themselves. That's quite a statement. Now, Jesus multiplies the commands. Condemn not, he says. The judgment you hold has now reached a point where if you reach a final decision about someone, the person should be cast aside, you think. Again, that comes with a warning. Condemnation of others invites God to condemn you. And then Jesus gives the opposite, forgive. Forgive people of the things they've done against you, and you will find this invites the forgiveness of God on your life. Give, says Jesus, give blessings on others, and it will invite a blessing on you. The good measure that Jesus speaks about, that's a metaphor of the person who's measuring out grain. Someone has come to buy grain, and the person who sells it measures it out, and then he tops off a little bit on top, maybe even a lot. That's the difference between the person who judges so as to condemn and the person who offers grace and does so even a bit more and often a lot more than what's required. And the wonderful thing is that with the size of the shovel that you use, it will be shoveled back to you, either for the good or for the bad. The promise as well as the warning invites us to consider this question. How do I treat others? Is God pleased by what he sees?
0: You may sense a longing for a deeper, more consistent prayer life, and yet readily admit a shortfall to do so. Well, this month, Back to the Bible Canada wants to support your intentions, and we'd like to send you as our gift the booklet, 30 Days of Prayer, A Season of Conversation with God. This free booklet contains 30 prayers personally selected by Dr. John from a prayer book entitled The Valley of Vision. 30 Days of Prayer is not instruction about prayer, but provides for us an experience of prayer. It offers each of us a month of daily prayers to reflect upon God and offer the cry of our hearts. We believe this booklet will nurture and direct your desire to spend time in prayer with God. To request your free copy today, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
1: Before we move to the next section about Jesus' teaching on this matter of judgment, let's return to what we've covered. Jesus has given a series of commands, judge not, condemn not, forgive. Each one of these commands are in the form of a present imperative. The present tense in Greek is often an ongoing present. If we apply that to these commands, we have to assume that Jesus meant to teach us to continually keep on forgiving and keep on refraining from judging others. We'll have to do it continually. We'll have to remind ourselves because the tendency to do the opposite will always be before us. But lest we think this is too hard, now Jesus gives us a motivation or a future promise. God will treat us with the grace with which we have treated others. Now let's move on towards the next section, where we'll find a reasoned explanation as to why showing mercy and kindness to others is required. Here I'm reading Luke six thirty nine to 42 He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. We notice now that Jesus tells a parable, and at first glance, the parable, while it makes sense, doesn't seem to relate to what Jesus has been teaching about judging others. Can a blind man lead a blind man? That's the question. And to that we might answer, well, I suppose they can, but nothing good's going to come of that. Well, in truth, no blind man should ever take another blind man by the hand and lead him. And Jesus responds to his own question by saying that given enough time over unfamiliar terrain, both of them together are going to fall into a pit. And it's interesting here, the use of the word pit. In the Greek, it refers to not a slight indentation or even a ditch, but a deep hole from which one can't recover. There is disaster that will bring ruin. And so assuming Jesus is not teaching about the proper guidance of the physically blind, we know he's saying something of the spiritually blind. But which spiritually blind person is he speaking about? You know, there are those who argue that he must be speaking about the Pharisees. And we might remember that Matthew records Jesus saying something very similar to the Pharisees. In Matthew 15, verse 14, he actually called the Pharisees blind guides and then added, if the blind lead the blind, both of them fall into a pit. There are two more times in Matthew where Jesus speaks exactly that way to the Pharisees. And so we can see that the image of the blind leading the blind was an image that Jesus must have used often. But I don't think that we have to assume that every time he uses that image, he's always referring to the Pharisees. He can use the image in other contexts as well. In the text we're reading, there's no mention of the Pharisees here at all although we have to assume they are in the crowd when Jesus is teaching, you know, in this case, I don't think he's addressing them. And so who are the blind guides? I think we need to consider this parable in the light of what Jesus has just been saying. Don't judge others, he says. Don't condemn them. And then a blind man leading a blind man. That must mean that Jesus is speaking of the danger of being blind to one's own faults and at the same time judging the other person for theirs you imagine that you can correct another person because you see them blind to their own shortcomings when, in fact, you're blind yourself. How will you be a guide to them? And what a thought that is. Every time we judge another, we're indicating our own moral and spiritual blindness. We might say, look, Sam's arrogant. But we who say it are completely blind to our own faults. For if we had been seeing, I don't think we'd have said such a thing. You know, I've been in meetings, church meetings even, where I've heard someone raked over the coals for their apparent shortcomings. And such meetings, using Jesus' analogy, are meetings conducted in a very dark room with blind people. No one knows what they're talking about. Now, after making that point, Jesus makes a second one. No student, he says, is above his teacher. When fully instructed, a disciple will be like his teacher. And it needs to be said, that's exactly how the ancient Jews thought about education. The rabbi instructed his students not only to learn material, that is, intellectually understand the concepts the student would be taught, But they also learned the mannerisms of their teacher. They watched as their teacher interacted with others, both their friends as well as their enemies. They saw how the teacher used his spare time. They watched what he read and when he read, and they were familiar with the reading decisions he made. It was a holistic education in which, when complete, the student would be expected to be like his teacher. Of course, that didn't mean the student lost his individual identity, but it did mean the student learned to interact with all of life through the lens of their teacher. And everyone in Jesus' day thought that's what higher education was all about. And I mention that because in our context today, we find this to be surprising because today, in today's world, we don't think that students should become like their teachers at all. But in Jesus' day, that's what a completed education looked like. Taking on that truism, then, it should be said that if you're trained by a blind teacher, what will be the result? See, in this case, it means that the teacher who gives spiritual leadership is the one who doesn't forgive, who judges others, condemns others for conduct that he himself could never know for certain. I mean, what a tragedy it would be for a student to be trained in that kind of blindness. Now, consider, on the other hand, what it would have been like to be trained by Jesus, The student becomes like his teacher. So as a student follows Jesus, what does he see? Well, he sees Jesus in the boat with Peter. He's gone out fishing with him. And at Jesus' command, the nets are let down, and the catch is the largest that Peter has ever seen. And then Jesus tells Peter, from now on, you're going to be catching men. And Peter responds truthfully. As a man who's not blind, he's able to see his own sin fully. He says, Lord, you need to take your leave of me. I- I'm a sinful man. And of course, Jesus knows that. But he also knows that he's going to bear with Peter until he's trained him fully. And not long after that, Jesus has passed by Matthew's tax booth. Matthew, the traitor of the Jewish people. Follow me, says Jesus. And it's not as if Jesus didn't know that Matthew was a sinful man. Well, what about the others that Jesus ministered to? You know, the sinful, the poor, the downtrodden, those you know who had sinned and made horrible mistakes. Each found mercy. And then the disciples witnessed as Jesus hung on the cross as he died for the sins of the whole world. What now happens to the student of Jesus? He becomes like his teacher. Instead of condemning, he's offering mercy. And with that, Jesus speaks now most sternly. Don't be following blind teachers. Instead, follow me. And in order to make this point, he now gives this fantastic image of a person straining to remove the speck out of someone else's eye when there is, in fact, a log in their own. I mean, this image, of course, I mean, it couldn't happen in real life. But that's the point. While it could never be that a person with a tree log in their own eye is criticizing someone for having a speck of dust in their eye and yet in the spiritual realm that's exactly what happens when we judge the inner motivations of someone else and offer them no mercy now, I recognize, and so did Jesus, that almost no one thinks of themselves as being blind to their own faults and clearly seeing the faults of others. No one thinks they have a you know, full-grown tree in their own eye while they look for specks in the eyes of the others. When we criticize, when we judge, when we make verdicts on the attitudes of others, their arrogance, their pride, their you know, lack of friendliness, their greed, their fascination with self, I mean, whatever it is, we criticize this for two reasons. We honestly think we're right in our judgment. Indeed, I could almost hear someone say, let me explain to you why the person I'm judging is exactly as I've judged them. I was not wrong in my view of them at all. Indeed, I've known people who doggedly continue in this kind of judgment for years and even for a lifetime. But the other reason we do it is because we honestly think we're better. We're not proud. We're not arrogant. We don't lack friendliness. We're not greedy. We don't lack, you know, care for others and so forth. Uh, But some of us, we hold to that lie because, you know, the rightness of our cause is what matters. Hear Jesus out, would you? First he says that if this is your attitude, you should take no spiritual leadership over others because you are a blind guide. If you lead others and they become like you, they're going to fall into a pit. And secondly, if this is your attitude, you're unlike Jesus. What's the solution? I think it begins by asking Christ for a new heart and a new attitude. Ask God to make it plain to you that you are a sinner and that you need to show grace wherever you can.
0: Thanks so much, John. You know, do you think, John, that it's true that we don't see our own faults or we're just reluctant to deal with them?
1: Uh, Probably a little bit of both. Um, I mean, there are things that, uh, you know, that you and I have sinned against the Lord and we're just not aware of them. Or there can be attitudes that we have and we're just blinded to them. And and many of us are blinded to that for, for even years. And then suddenly God reveals it and it overwhelms us. But there are other things as well where we are constantly giving excuses for ourselves. We will not face it. And it is that huge, significant spiritual problem. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to ruin our sinful pride to allow us to say, yes, Lord, I have sinned.
0: Thanks so much, John, and remember to join us again tomorrow as we conclude our series, A Firm Grip on the Gospel, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Legacy can traditionally be defined as something that is passed on to entrusted hands but it can be so much more. Your faith, your character, your core values, or the life you lead. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Back to the Bible Canada, and you want it to continue and have an eternal impact on future generations, then you may wish to consider making a legacy donation. Advisors with Purpose is an independent Canadian financial ministry that Back to the Bible Canada partners with to help supporters create a plan for their estate according to their faith and values. Our partnership allows Back to the Bible Canada to offer an estate service through Advisors with Purpose for free. If you're interested or would like more information, call Advisors with Purpose today at 1-866-336-3315. And to donate to the ministry today, visit us at backtothebible.ca.